of us gathered around the table. This was Session Zero. It was the first night that we'd all gotten together to talk about the game that we were about to play. We were going to figure out what kind of adventure we wanted to experience, and we were going to make all of the characters. It was the first time that I was ever going to run a game. I spoke to everyone about what sort of story they were interested in. I helped them coordinate to make sure they were all making characters that were compatible. I I didn't want them to have any party infighting the very first night I was DMing. I worked with all of the players to make sure their party was well-rounded. They had all of the character types that they needed. The party was balanced. Back in those days, character creation wasn't as fast as it is in most games today. Most of Session Zero was spent in the actual mechanics of character creation, but that was okay. We were also all hanging out and enjoying hot chocolate and Doritos. I I know it's odd, but hot chocolate was just the thing that that particular gaming group did. And the night ended with us all ready to begin play. The characters were all created. I had made sheets for a few of the main NPCs that I was going to use, and we were ready so that the next weekend... I would run my very first Dungeons & Dragons game. The next week came, and we played a fantastic game of Star Trek. All right, roll for initiative. podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you. We just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have a little more fun at your game. Because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun. Fun. Stop. He's got to win. I'm just saying, I'm Ryan. I'm the curmudgeon. And joining me, of course, is the legend, Carrie. Hey. And Jason. The favorite with the best smelling feet. And... This that gets weirder yeah, every I, episode. It's true I'm, though. I'm a little confused as to how you tested this theory. There was a contest. I see. You've never been in a one of those. <laughs> we can be found at honorrollpodcast.com on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else your podcasts are downloaded. We're also on Twitter at honorrollpodcast, and you can find us on Facebook. We're at Jason. Where at? That's a good question, and the answer to that is <laughs> facebook.com slash groups slash honorable podcast. I notice that you still haven't fixed the note. The note. Yeah. Uh, you can also email us at hosts at honorablepodcast.com, or you can find us on Patreon. Carrie, what's with that? Our Patreon is patreon.com slash podcast. Who are some of our patrons? Well, we have, at the wizard level, we have Cameron Pruitt. Ooh, Lost Colonies. Thanks, Joe Hines. Yeah, we've got Ryan Martin. And then we have a brand new person at the wizard level, Drew Stevens. Drew Stevens, really cool dude. He ran a great game of Monster of the Week for me. Carrie's (laughs) laughing because I messed this up the first time through. (laughs) Drew's super awesome. Drew's like one of those, like, crazy smart people mm-hmm. that like is intimidating to talk to <laughs> like i'm always i always feel like i just kind of like stumble around when i talk to him because he's way smarter than he me. he does great design stuff too yeah yes awesome all right so okay. anybody else new this week we do we have we also have nick riley right has, he's has the joined us organizational storyteller of underground theater mm-hmm. and a really cool dude well, well i don't know that i'd say that 
if he's giving he's got us a cool job, you know, if he's giving us money, we can say he's we cool can say dude. he's cool. I think Nick Riley is a really cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we get into combat rounds, uh, normally I would say this is the part where we would check in and see what's new with our intrepid adventurers. That's because us. Because just nice. one week ago we were sitting here at this table recording a podcast. And all was right in the world. But some interesting things happened in the last 48 hours or so in the world of gaming, in particular, specifically in the world of White Wolf and World of Darkness gaming. And so instead of talking about what's happened with us, we're going to bravely forage into the mist and try and, for just a minute, talk about what's happening with uh, the situation going on with White Wolf. I like calling it the situation. The situation. The situation, the situation gate. We were trying to figure out what it name <laughs> oh, earlier. The situation gate. I like Gehenna Gate. Gehenna, Gehenna Gate is oh, also But it's good. not about Gehenna. Okay, so we should be serious for a second and say that uh, White Wolf's been catching some flack. I'm going to very much simplify it and because I don't want this to be a, a huge conversation because we're just not going to get into it to that level on this show today. But the short version of it is that they've just this week released a few pages as a PDF um, promoting the pre-sales of V5. That's what they call it, Vampire 5th Edition. They call it V5. Uh, and within there, they list some things specifically in this instance that is is catching flack is they talk about the Bruja. Uh, which is a clan of vampires, in their list of types of characters that would be Bruja, they mention neo-Nazis. And so, and while we're not a political uh, podcast, first thing we, I think we can all say is that we are totally against bigotry in all of its forms. Right. Yeah. And uh, neo-Nazis in particular. However, in role-playing, some people explore those concepts. Is it appropriate in a mass market game like... Vampire 5th Edition is the question that a lot of people are talking right. about. And some, sometimes the answer is it's absolutely appropriate. It's called the world of darkness, and those topics can be viewed as dark. To other people, the answer is no, this is not the same world that it was in 1990 when the original vampire came out. And Which had references not unlike this. Yes, and so, you know, there are people saying, yes, but the world is different now, and so now it's no longer acceptable. While that may be a valid and interesting discussion, that's not actually the focus of what's happened in the last couple of days. What's happened in the last couple of days is a blogger named Justin McCormick posted a blog in which he addressed his theories about what he believes is going on. Right. He, he asserts that White Wolf is specifically trying to use these dog whistle words and and. and setting changes to attract people that are neo-Nazis alt-right, groups that are not really acceptable in mainstream. He does not specifically assert that the folks at White Wolf are fascists or that they are Nazis or neo-Nazis, but he does assert that he believes it is possible they are intentionally marketing to those groups. They're they're not Nazis. They want to sell books to Nazis. Right. (sighs) And... And you know what? If that were true, 100%, that would be equally troubling. Right. I, my personal belief, and I think all three of us feel this way, we don't believe that anyone sitting behind the desks at White Wolf are neo-Nazis or Nazis or fascists or any of those things. Now, I've met several of those people, and in my experience, just talking to them, they seem fine and at no point espoused anything that, that triggered me to think, oh, this person might be 
a bigot. Right. I've only ever had issues with one of them, and it was just that he was kind of a little bit of a douchebag. <laughs> but that doesn't. But you know what? I have met lots of douchebags who are good people, and sometimes just you're a douchebag. Sometimes. I can be a sometimes. douchebag, right? So sometimes. all of that is to say, though, that being a douchebag doesn't mean you're a Nazi. No, uh, I, I think what's the heart of the issue is that uh, the World of Darkness community has had problems for years, right? And and, and and this situation currently has been exacerbated by some. Uh, what I feel are perhaps not... As a professional within the PR community. I think that's important to say. I work in public relations for a living for a billion-dollar healthcare company. And so I, I've written crisis communication statements that have been read on CNN. Uh, right. And so I have experience. And my personal professional opinion is that White Wolf's communication responses have not been the best. Right. And because their responses have been mediocre to poor on various issues in the past, and then including how they've responded to this blog, it's kind of exacerbated the situation. Now, I think yeah. in particular, I'd like to say there is a little bit of a change on that that has just been within, the, what, the last 12 hours or so? Right. Tobias uh, personally reached out to the blogger and requested a discussion. Right. Now, Tobias is the CEO of White Wolf. Yes. Okay. And he's reached out to Justin and said, hey, let's get together and have a conversation. And, and I think that's very mature. I, I agree. And my hope is that Justin's response will be just as mature. And hopefully the two of them can come together and maybe they can come to some sort of resolution or agreeance to disagree if that's how it goes. Uh, but mostly what I hope happens is that there is some sort of community healing. And that's kind of the part more than anything else that we sort of want to talk about for a minute is that the part of all of this that no one's talking about is just how horrendously broken and toxic the White Wolf fandom community has revealed itself to be oh, in well, the terrible. last 12 hours. It's terrible. And I think that if you look at fandoms of any stripe, it's a similar problem. I mean, Star we've seen, Wars is having this problem. Yeah. Right. Star Wars is having this problem. When I was a kid, it was the best community. Right. And... For whatever reason, it seems far more difficult now. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we touched on briefly with our toxic episode about other communities that are having these same problems. Yes. Uh, I think the age of social media makes that stuff more obvious and it allows... It gives everybody to, a soapbox. It gives everybody a soapbox and allows you to reinforce and re refine opinions and breed outrage very quickly. Yes. Sometimes outrage has its place, but it can't be a community. Right. Now, on a personal note, I'm trying to create my own role-playing game. The guy that I'm working with on that, Ashley, uh, when he and I first got together, one of the things that we talked about early on was that we shared the belief that the gaming community that develops as a fan base around a game is sort of shaped by the company and how you know we present the game to them and how we treat them and talk to them and foster them as a community. Right. And because we have that belief... That kind of also lends to the belief that when you discover that the community is broken, it is your job as the fostering entity of that community to try and, and heal it and it's, make it, it better. It's actually a lot like a storyteller and player relationship. Well, you know, it's something we talked about on a previous episode, too, that sometimes you have to view the aspects of your community as if you're a black hat hacker and say, oh, how can I break this so that you can put your white hat on and decide how to fix it? Right. When White Wolf made their statement on their Facebook page, 
it immediately turned into one of the most divisive, toxic Facebook threads that I've ever seen. And, and I've been a part of vampire LARP communities. And yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get more toxic than that. <laughs> um, but it does, apparently. And it yeah. did there. Every single person was either, you're a, a, a libtard social justice warrior uh-huh. special snowflake because you're offended and triggered by the mention of neo-Nazis. And then the other side was like, well, you're a bunch of fascist Nazi jerks. And it was, it was just, it was awful. It just made me feel dirty. This reminds me of something I heard on an episode of LARPcast. They were interviewing Robert Ciccolini, the guy who invented the accelerant boffer LARP system and runs the Madrigal game. He was talking about how that, uh, what he does is he doesn't design a system at all. He's designing a community. Every decision he makes for his game, for the system it runs under, everything, every piece of lore is designed to create a better community. And that's all that he is trying to accomplish. And I believe that any company, especially a gaming company, should keep that in mind. I'm not blaming White Wolf per se, but I'm saying that as part of designing your systems, you need to be designing your community. And you need to be a part of that community and encouraging people to be their best selves when they're part of it. Right. Uh, you know, again, we don't think that they are alt-right neo-Nazi fascists. And I don't really believe they're trying to to sell to those people specifically. It is possible, however, that the way they've designed this game accidentally or unintentionally can appeal to some very unhealthy groups. Well, we all know that Vampire, while we've enjoyed it for years, it has really strong aspects of power fantasy. And that can attract some shit people. Yep. Power fantasy <laughs> can be a lot of fun. I've had a ton of fun in games that were really just power but, fantasy. But, but it it's a problem, too. But it can also attract shit people. Yes. Especially people who feel like that in their life they have uh, limited power, or even better, not limited power, but not as much as they deserve. Right. So from all of this, I think... My biggest takeaway is that I just would like to see, as as a member of that fandom community, right? I would like to see White Wolf maybe take this as an opportunity to, to go, you know, maybe we need to step in and be a little bit more proactive and communicate a little better with our with our gaming community and, and try to to stop this divisiveness and toxicity. It's easy to forget now that White Wolf was once one of the most progressive companies out there. We were talking today about the fact that they were probably the first company that ever referred to the gamer as a, yeah, Yeah. the game, the player as she. Right. Right. And they've got tons of very powerful stories about women. And they're not all just about women getting killed or raped. A lot of them are just about the things that these women have accomplished. And I think that it's also important to acknowledge if you're going to say this company came from original social justice warriors, sure, then it's also fair to say the modern day social justice warrior should maybe be able to expect a little more sensitivity. Because that's them. what yeah. they traditionally have done. Now, they've had plenty of missteps and we don't need to go in there. Everybody has missteps. But, you know, overall, they were usually trying to be the better company. Right. And I, I think that's the root of all this now. If it was a terrible company that people didn't care about, they wouldn't care. Right. To be 
polarized over a topic means the topic is something that people are passionate about. And I think that they need to address that passion and find ways to better manage it and to use it for for a better purpose. My personal opinion is that ultimately what White Wolf is lacking is a public relations or community management role. So somebody like yourself. (laughs) Somebody who would love to do that that lives in Sweden. That lives in Sweden. Well, you know what? Nowadays, you don't have to live next door to your company. Well, that's true. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Well, I guess if if all of that's done, then let's go to Combat Rounds. Hola, bienvenidos Combat Rounds. (laughs) So, after that very heavy discussion, let's get into something that that I think we've been meaning to deep dive into for a long time. Maybe this should have been first. Maybe, I don't know. But today we're going to be talking about first-time DMing. The very first time you ever ran a game as a storyteller or a dungeon master or, or whatever your game system calls it. This was... First sessions. Your first. I think that this is a perfect example of something that's always going to happen during your game. You're going to mess up, especially the first time. That's right. Yeah. There's going to be mistakes, and you're just going to keep going. Uh, Yeah, because You're not going to stop recording no matter what happens. (laughs) Unlike this podcast, you can't fix the game in post. That's right. (laughs) So, uh, let's just... Well, you know what? You can. You can't apologize and say, I messed up. Let's do this differently. <laughs> but that would happen after game. That would happen so, after game. Like post. Maybe that's <laughs> going to be the best way to talk about this then. Why yeah. don't we just split this? We'll talk about uh, what you should do before your game. Right. Sure. What to do during the first game you run. Okay. And what to do after the first game you run. Okay. Does that wow. sound good? Whoever yeah. thought of that system is a genius. Ah. What? I I largely agree. <laughs> All right. Well, let's first talk it's about... Me. <laughs> you should... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So before the game, all right. The first thing, the first thing you should do before before you sit down, you know, I, I want to talk about the importance for a second of session zero. Session zero, like traditionally, that was like, yeah, like in your story, character creation. Back in the back in the old days, in the olden days, in the olden days, used to game in my mom's yeah. basement, and we liked it. All you guys are lucky. You had basements to game. Yeah. All right. So session zero is essentially this idea that that when everybody first gets together before they play the first game of the role playing game, they sit down, they make characters, they talk about kind of what they want to do and the adventure and stuff, and sort of just get everything on this on the right playing field out of character. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the old days, that was mostly oh, a whole evening spent where you were just making characters and talking about all of that stuff. It, it used to drive me crazy. It used to take all night to make I, characters. I'm like, I don't care if it takes us eight hours to make characters. I want to play for 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> That's part of the reason I hate making characters Because it takes day. too long. No, because it what used happened, to take too long. Because it used to take too long, and people would be like, okay, now we're playing Dungeons & Dragons. Everyone spend eight hours to make this character. You'd spend the eight hours, you'd show up, and then people are like, I've changed my mind. We're <laughs> going to play Star Trek. Everybody spend another eight hours to make a Star Trek character. And that was like a, a bane that happened to me all the time. Right. Do you remember in first, 
before I ever got to roleplay, I made like eight characters because people were like, hey, I'm going to run a roleplaying game. I'd read the book, make a character. Mm-hmm. They'd never play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At session zero, that's when you ask your players what they want. You want to talk to them a little bit about maybe what their character is going to be like, what their character's goals might be like. Um, you'll ask them, you know, what kind of adventure, what kind of story do you want to participate in? You might ask them, you know, do they prefer more combat-oriented games or do they like to spend a little more time just role-playing, you know, character moments? And I think that's also a moment when you, as the storyteller, communicate to them that this is the sort of game that I would like to run. Right. Right, yeah. Because if you tell them up front, hey, this is a political game, then they know in their head, okay, I should probably make something like that. Right. If you say, I'm going to run sort of a a murder mystery, well, that's probably not going to be the best, you know, as the player for you to make your your big warrior. Right. Like you might want to take something that's got the investigation skill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, Now, this advice is better for tabletop. More, that, it's that, more for tabletop. Uh, it's a little harder to do something like that for mush or for Particularly LARP. in LARP, you usually have your character made, hopefully before you show up, or at the very least, within a short amount of time before you, you actually get into game. And right. game's probably well, ongoing. Well, yeah, that's again, what I meant more of This it, is an not ongo- first game. And in a mush, yeah. in a mush, you know, you're going to find when you go to make a character, they'll have a wiki or something that will typically outline what the game is like and yeah. give you those ideas. So, but this is more about the first time you run a game. You remember the very first, we could call it game zero of RVR Unchained. We were at the coffee shop. And everybody who was going to play showed up, and we helped make characters, yep. and we talked about what we were going to do. Right. And that that was the LARP's session zero. Yeah. yeah. It was actually a lot of fun. I'm glad we did that. I also think that uh, this is a good opportunity to maybe let your players know, hey, guys, this is the first time I have ever run a game. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're That's gonna, important stuff. They're going to be more helpful, and they're going to be more understanding. And they're going to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, it's they're not like you can hide it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. And, and here's a secret. People don't want to be the one running the game. No. <laughs> How many times have you met somebody who's like, I really don't want to run game, so if you're willing, I'll do whatever it takes. Right? Even the guy who always runs your game would still probably rather be playing. Yep. You know, I mean, not always. There are exceptions. But most people would rather play than run. My, my personal is, I want to run for a while, but then I need, like... A big chunk of playing to kind of recharge. Right. But the reason this is important is because you need to know that if you tell them that it's your first game, they're going to help you. Because if you succeed, you'll run again. That's right. they don't have to run. (laughs) Yeah. So they're going to help you because they don't want to do it. So that guy should prepare, but... But not not too much. Not too much because you don't want to to basically be building a railroad. You do, but you do want to have solid ideas. What if the game is about the transcontinental railroad construction? (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun. I would play Hell on Wheels. I want to play Hell on Wheels now. Because then the game is railroad construction. That would also be a very wait, tricky is, game to run. Wait a minute. We're tying this all back. Tying it back. Someone right. could be the Swede. Someone uh, could be the Swede. Yeah. So, okay, so prepare but not too much. What do we mean by that? Well, you know, one of the things I like to do, and I feel like that this is something that's really good for new people, is you come up with three or four NPCs. Carrie is really great at that. She did no. that for RVR. You, you invented three no. NPCs that define the first <laughs> two years of plot. And... That gets you an idea of who's in the world, and uh, something you talked about was you build a spot, and then you build everything around it, right. but but then you leave 
the rest of it kind of open. But yeah. but if the players go, I need to find a coffee shop. Well, there's a coffee be, shop. Yeah, then you just make a coffee shop, you know, just because you don't have it built in on the map or whatever your game is, you know, like be loosey goosey enough to improv. Oh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a punch bowl here. Yeah, there is a punch bowl. There's an old adage about how, you know, a good plan of attack is only good until the very first, you know, <laughs> yeah. swing. That's, yeah. first and that's swing. very much for yeah. running a game, yeah. yeah. Right. You know, so prepare, have some idea of what you're going to do, but don't prepare so much that you've scripted the whole session. Right? The the players will not enjoy that as much as if they get to explore it. And feel like it's reactive, but also and it's organic. Yes, yeah. I would also say though, don't underplan. It's tricky, isn't yeah. it? You can, <laughs> because you know nothing sucks more than playing four hours and have you know it's ten o'clock. You could still play for two more hours before you need to go home. And the and the DM is like, this is really all I've planned, guys. We've got to yeah. stop here. So you should you should plan a little bit longer of a session than you actually could run than you think you'll need because you can always edit. Or they can always do the next couple steps at the beginning That's of right. next session. Right. So when you prepare, what do you prepare? I think first you, you make your you make sure you have NPCs. Yes. You know, you had said that. Um, I think the other thing that's important to do is to understand your villain. Because and we've talked about villains and bad guys and stuff before on this podcast, but if you and, and one of the things that we talked about there is that if you understand your villain and the villain's goal and motivation that's where your story begins. And you typically know what, he, you know, if, if you understand his goals and motivations, then you know what he's going to do next, no matter what your PCs throw at you. Something that it talks about in the Dungeon World book is that you should come up with a list of motivations of the major groups that the players are going to be dealing with. Sure. So, like, you have a problem, and you have groups that are interacting with that problem, and then you have their motivation. And so it's really simple. You can just look down and say, oh... Well, they're doing this. Well, the motivation of, of the, this group is to stop them or to assist them or to do this other thing that's tangential. And I think that that gives you the resources to jump right in. Well, yeah, always having your antagonist fleshed out to a point right. is good. Well, not just your antagonist. The other major groups, organizations, uh, powers that be in the world right. that they're playing in. Yeah, the I think the other thing to think about is is to don't plan to be running a year-long epic campaign. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, everybody makes that mistake the first time. They they always want to write the world-shattering game. Right. And you know what? I've played in those. They're fun. They can be very fun. But you know what? First games, you run fighting cobalts. Yeah. Like, that's all, that's all players need. And I think that... To start with. If, especially when you're inexperienced, and mm-hmm. I find that very experienced storytellers kind of circle back around to this, you can't save the world and have an emotional impact usually, but you can save somebody. You can save a city that they have an emotional connection to. Right. And so... Yeah, bigger isn't always better. Bigger isn't always better. Sometimes <laughs> it's small and personal because that people feel like they can really affect this and they can fail. Yeah. And the ability to fail is very important. And if the adventure's too big, they don't feel like they can fail. Because if they fail and the world ends, there's no more game. There's no more game. Right. And I also think it's important to remember that this is the first game you've ever run. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Right. Plan a story that lasts one or two game sessions mm-hmm. and see how it went. And then you can always build on that. Right. 
it could kind of be uh, the first small adventure that the party goes on before they do the epic campaign. Yeah. Right. So, and the kind of the other thing, you know, we talked about making NPCs. The other sort of piece to that is a lot of people recommend, and, and I, I you recommend do this as well. Uh, keep a make a small list of names that, that fit your setting. Right. I'm so bad at that. Uh, yes, because Who's, here's we've the thing. done too many blah vampires. Invariably, <laughs> they're at always some, Bob. Yeah, yeah. At some point during the 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 night. Your players are going to talk to a random NPC that you didn't know they were going to talk to, that and you, you didn't need a plan name for, and you're going to need a name because that name makes that character real. I think that that's one of those things that your players will forgive you for not doing, but they'll be impressed with you yeah. for having it. Right. It makes the world feel, again, real, responsive, and something they can interact with and expect it to change. Now, here's my shortcut cheat sheet to that. Oh, tell us. Uh, so, <laughs> I think you've mentioned this before. I have mentioned this before. <laughs> and it's All in your of, book, right? As long as I'm not running like a Forgotten Realms campaign or something where it's weird, you know, yes. because certain fantasy settings, for example, there are, are sounds and... Different naming conventions. Right. But, you know, if it's like World of Darkness or whatever, man, every, every random NPC that it gets talked to by my players... I just quickly immediately named them after somebody I graduated from high school. <laughs> that sounds great. Even though we had similar graduating classes, I can't remember half their names. <laughs> you know, it's just real easy for me to... Uh, go- yeah, because you only like graduated with 30 people. Right. Well, but the reality is, though... <laughs> I remember 10 of their names. <laughs> it doesn't have to be somebody from your graduating class. No, but I get what it you could mean. Be, it could be your church group. It could be any group of people in which you know some names, it and could you be have the, basic personalities to tie them to. Right. Because at the end of the day, if at the end of the game, they're going to say, what was the name of that waitress we encountered? And you're going to be able to go, oh, well, it was so-and-so. Barbara Jean. Be- and I remember that because uh, she was the first girl I ever kissed oh. in 1992. You know, whatever. <laughs> right? late bloomer. And so anyway, either have some sort of uh, group that you belong to or did belong to that you can yoink a name from right out of your butt or make a little list, you know. Do not keep the list in your butt. Don't keep the list in your butt. Hey, Uh, hey, don't kink shame. Not a game. (laughs) So, you know, just just keep a little list because you never know when they're going to encounter. Well, I told you that one storyteller, he, he has a whole set of note cards and they have a random set of names and personalities in each yeah. one. And he pulls it out of the box, writes the note, puts it in the other box. <laughs> and that's how he knows they've been used. That's a lot of prep work. That's a lot it of prep is. work. He says he does 100 Ugh. for every game. No. That may, you know, that may fall under... Uh, too much prep. Too much prep. Yeah. You know, though, it, the truth is he's running a, a LARP in an he's org, LARP. though. And, yeah. and that's a little different. But yeah. uh, So, all right. So let's go ahead and then talk about what happens during a game. What happens at the table? Here's a big question. Do you use a screen? Ah, uh, oh. Because there's, a, you know, there's kind of two sides to that. Right. I use a screen. Why? So my person, all right, so I understand both sides of this argument. Sure, sure. Okay, but I use a screen because I'm a firm believer that storytellers or DMs are not cheaters. They can't cheat. They can't cheat. Right. And so... The reality is this. If uh, if I'm running a game for the two of you, 
right? And I, I come in and I'm like, okay, there's two of them. So I'm going to have four, you know, four kobolds attack you guys, right? Kobolds yeah. is like the go-to example tonight. Right. Four kobolds attack you. And if suddenly I realize that you guys are just like walloping them and this encounter is turning out to just be garbage because you're just walloping it's too them. too easy. Right. Yeah. I can suddenly go, oh, this little first level kobold just, just, you know, rolled a 19 and hit you. Like, he got a crit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? Um, the other thing I, is is I can you know maybe fudge health levels. A oh little no, bit. we couldn't we couldn't take that Tresque out. It's maybe a little, it's <laughs> yeah. a little stronger than you thought. Yeah, you know, or um, you know, and some rule systems are are more or less flexible in that area. But, yes, but the point is, uh, it's it's this idea that like that DM screen is my curtain, and you don't need to see behind it because that's where my actors are poised. And you can't, but you can't abuse that. Uh, it can absolutely be oh, abused. Well, yeah. And you, sh- obviously, but, if you're a good storyteller, you don't. But if you're listening to this podcast, you wouldn't abuse it because, because you're great. Right. Because people who listen, to, <laughs> no, but people who listen to podcasts like this want to be better. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so, so I, t- I really do believe that if you're listening to a podcast like this, whether it's this one or another, another show like this, you know, you're listening because you want to be better. And if you want to be better, then you're probably not the kind of person. Well, you're open to. Right. Now, yeah. I'll tell you something. I use a screen, but not to roll behind. Okay. Because I have notes, and it's more interesting if the players don't see them. Yeah. Even if you pretend to jot something down. That's also they, fun. They get so excited. I love right. to send people secret notes that just say, you've gotten a secret note. It means nothing. Look like you've got a secret. Right. And then they get all excited. <laughs> yes. Or or if I want to build tension, you guys all walk into the, the dungeon room while you guys, you know. And, and you start to look around, and then I'll pick up a die and, and I'll roll yeah. it, <laughs> and they'll go, "What's up?" And I'll be like, "Nothing, no, yep, no, you didn't, go on. You didn't do anything, you know." Because then they're like, "What's going on?" And it builds. Did tension. I miss a roll? Right, <laughs> it builds tension. Yeah. So uh, I, I also like the screen because it's got cheat sheets on it. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> you know, most most games have store have. Screens that have all the charts. That so you, you keep like a list of players' names. You can also do that, yeah. Or characters' names, because you should know your players' names. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. You, and you keep like uh, little notes about the things that they can do and the sorts of situations that you know they're looking right. for. Now, for I'd like to go back a little bit. Sure. For the, uh, for, let's say your first game you were running is a LARP. Ooh. You can do all these same things with a notebook. That's right. Just carry uh, the notebook. You ran uh, the first iteration of our VR mm-hmm. for a long time out of what, like two notebooks? Yeah. I yeah. know one of them was just full of random NPCs because I got to run random NPCs out of it one day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I also think a, a, another reason to use a screen is because I think that um, players will make mistakes and you as a storyteller will make mistakes. As a dungeon master, you'll make mistakes. Right. So for me, my mistake as a story as a dungeon master might be to make too strong of a villain. Oh, ten kobolds. Right? Yeah. I accidentally or it's one, you know, one hundredth level kobold. I thought right? this would be really fun I for y'all to fight. Right. right. But yeah. instead Guess it's wilding you. Well, it's kind of the opposite. Now I can fudge my rolls and make them worse. Or you can be like, ah, I failed that saving throw, guys. Right. That yeah. spell oh, works. No. I think that you you fake rolls as a storyteller, you fake rolls to make up for your mistakes. But I don't think you make up for your players' mistakes. No, I think there's a limit to that. Like if 
if it's not going to be fun for the whole party to get killed, right? You work something out, right? But if one or two of them, you know, is to die because they did something stupid, that's good. That can be good story. Yes, and we'll get. Well, we'll you get should to turn that. it into good story, right? And yeah, because we'll, we'll story get to is always over mechanic. That's right. Story is more important. Mechanics. I, th- I think let's talk about that for a second. Then, when your your game is made up of like four elements, the your community that's you Number as a one. person. You as a person and the players as people. Right. So you're a community because we believe that even sitting at the table with the Doritos mm-hmm. or, or in the LARP uh, warehouse or or even logging into the mush, like the players and the storytellers, that is the game's community. Yes. And so community is number one. People out of character, that is the, the number one most important part of the game. The second most important part is is the characters. Because the story's about what they're doing. Right. I have played really, really terrible games and had a blast because my character was awesome. A, a great character can carry a not-so-great game. Well, it's like a movie. Right. There's some actors, you can watch them read the phone book. And right. you can have a good time if you build a good character and you role-play with the other people at the table, no matter what the game is like. Right. But it doesn't necessarily work the other way. No, if, not at if, all, actually. If you despise your character, it doesn't matter how great the game is, you're still going to be miserable. Or if you're playing in such a way that makes the game worse for everybody else. Right. So, communities first, followed by the characters, and then the next most important thing is the story. Right. Mm-hmm. And lastly, the mechanics. And the mechanics I, are the least important thing. And pretty much every serious role-playing book in the world will tell you that almost exact same list. Right. Because and, this is core advice. Yes. Now, most of the worst players you'll ever meet will tell you that mechanics are the most important. They're like, hey, I rolled a die eight, and I got a six, and I know kobolds only have six hit points. What's up? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you don't you. know if these are mutant kobolds or what. Maybe you should look into that. Right. And suddenly it's a story. Maybe it's a story now that these people have more hit points. Or maybe you shouldn't worry so much about the fact that, oh, I've done six damage. Right. So remember, stories above mechanics. But if your players aren't having fun, they're above everything else. That's right. Um, I also think that a good idea during play is to keep a list of your your PC's important stats. The characters that are around They're your lockpicking. table. They've got merits. They've got flaws. They've got exceptionally good skills, exceptionally bad skills. They have... You know, maybe you want to keep track of what their AC is or their saving throws or whatever. Or if there's a certain thing in their history. That right. I remember that uh, that speech that John Wick gave in which he said, if a character has a flaw in his sheet, they expect that flaw to come up. Right. And you must make that flaw come up. So that's the thing. you got to have it on the note. you got to remember it. you got to work it into play. Right. Uh, the other thing is uh, if mechanics come up and there's a problem, make the call. Just decide. Because you are you are the storyteller. You're you're kind of the god over what's yes. happening at the table. Make the call now, and then tell everyone. We'll look it up for sure later if that's an issue. And the only caveat to that is I will frequently look up a rule if it's life or death, or a situation where it's player versus player. Right. Because in those cases, it's usually very important to get it exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Though in a perfect world, you would even still be able to just say. I believe this is what it is. Let's keep going. Right. As long as you're telling and a great most, story, most people will roll with it. I was going to say, most players will just go, okay, we'll look this up later. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the actual storytelling. Um, Ooh, that's the tricky part. It is, isn't it? So some advice for, for being the master of your dungeon. 
the first thing is when you're when you're setting up a scene, I, I always like to say try to narrow the focus. Uh, try to present them with the decisions to be made. When you, when you start with okay, you guys walk into a saloon. What do you do? They have no idea. They don't know what's there. You haven't told them what to do. And something we talked about in scene building was as soon as as soon as you begin play, and in every scene, they should know what the decision to be made is as soon as possible. So present them with options. Right. Yeah. You walk into a saloon. To your left, there's a guy playing the piano. To the right, there's a group of people gambling. And at the bar is a a good-looking person serving drinks, and and they wink at your character as you walk in the door. I attack. What do you do? You what? <laughs> I attack the darkness. You attack the darkness. Yes. Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. <laughs> oh, uh, no. But you're right. It's, as long as you present them with options and choices and things that they, they're they encountering that they can see, they will have responses. If you just say things like, you go into the saloon. What do you do? Yeah. Then you'll get dead air. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And remember, most of the time as the storyteller, you kind of know, you know, if you're building a good scene, we talked about this last week. If you're building a good scene, you know what the expected or desired outcome is. Right. And so or, or present them with sorts of outcomes that should happen. Right. So present them with decisions that will lead them towards the opportunity to have those outcomes. Yeah. You don't need to uh, railroad them. All the way. Or guarantee them success. Yeah, or yeah, definitely not that. But, I mean, point them in the direction of the map that's they, on the wall. They you can, know, if you don't tell them, they're they not going to look. They cannot succeed or fail in opening the door if you don't tell them where the door's at. Right. Oh, and it's isn't it terrible to be playing in a game where you go, well, I, uh, I guess I go to the bar and they're like, well... You totally missed that door. I'm like, you didn't tell me there was a door there at all. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. How was I to know? <laughs> right. Another thing is to try and say yes as much as you can. You know, if, if they if they want to try and do something, let them try. Say yes. Saying yes doesn't necessarily mean you're allowing them to get away with it. Right. Saying yes could just mean uh, you're allowing them to make a die roll. And that's all they really want. Sometimes just feeling like I had a chance. Right. <laughs> um, a- along with that, uh, don't be afraid of going off the plan. Right. Like, don't be afraid if they cool say. Cool ideas, go with it. it. Well, if they say, is there a chandelier? Poof, yes. There's a chandelier. Let's see what they do with it. Absolutely. Right. And I think sometimes uh, connected to that. Is just they going off plan may not be as simple as just is there a chandelier. It could also mean you know like well let's go next door and see right. if we can talk look to the, the neighbors. Window. Right? Or, yeah. Have you ever heard of the magician's choice? No. Really? Okay. It. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't expect you to say no. The magician's <laughs> choice says uh, pick a hand and then whichever hand they pick, say you've got the bean in your left hand. You go. And they pick the right hand. You go, aha, see, there's nothing there. And then you show them the bean in your other hand. And so what that means is, is that you've effectively made the choice for them. Right. And if you use this in moderation, for example, you come up to two doors. And whichever one they open, that's the one with the trap. Yeah. Now, or it's the one with the cool outcome. So they feel like they made a really important decision. Again, use sparingly. 
but really, you've chosen for them. And and it didn't matter. And it didn't matter, <laughs> but it <laughs> right. feels important. And that's what feels matters more than actuality. Yeah, tension, like we were saying earlier about, you know, everyone's wrong, roll a dice. Right. And and this these choices kind of connects to to this idea of not letting them see behind the curtain. You know, don't you don't have to say things like, man, if you guys had opened that other door, that's where the crazy Never trap ever was. Never say things like that. Never say that. Because what if a year later in the game, they're like, let's go back to that dungeon. We, we need to at. go back there. We never opened that one door. Yeah, well, and if you told them, eh, there's just, there was just some rats behind it. And they get there and there's like, oh, well, there was just those rats. You've spoiled the surprise. And more than, and, and connected to that too is maybe there is no surprise and you've also spoiled that. Yep. You know, just mm-hmm. don't let them see me. The, there's, there is magic to telling a story to your friends. And if they know how the trick works, it's not good anymore, is it? You know what? A magician never tells his... Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're another magician. Or on this podcast, apparently. Or on this podcast. Well, you know what? You have to tell each other. Once you learn the tricks, you pretty much have to story tell. Because <laughs> in some cases, games have been ruined for me because I have said, oh, that's... You're doing this. Right. And it's difficult now for me to close my eyes and be surprised. Yeah. That's why I don't watch making of movies very often. <laughs> because once I know... Oh, that's that. They that was just a guy behind the bush shaking. You're looking it. for the wires. Right? I'm looking for the wires from now. On. I, in fact, since I started running games, I struggle with seeing the wires. Right. In even in movies, because the techniques are frequently similar. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about how how you, as a storyteller or a dungeon master, you know, reacts to what your players doing. Okay. So, uh, let's say you're running a game and the the players uh, figure out the plot. But what they figured out is wrong. But dang, if it's not a way cooler idea than what you would. Oh, come you up use with. the heck out of that. You use it and claim they're super smart, and they think you're a genius too. Yep. <laughs> they're like, "Whoa, that was super clever, dude!" And you're like, "Yep." So don't get married to your idea because your players may come up with something better, and you can steal it. Well, remember, yeah. there's there's going to be three, four, five, twenty. Other- other brains in the room. And one of those brains might have a better idea. Right. In fact, some people do open-ended plots in which there's no solution. There's just some things that happen. No and solution until someone comes up with right. one at the table. And, and then, then they're, they're go, like, oh, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. what that's I've it. been... Yeah. It's been that all along. And this yeah. goes back to not letting them see behind the curtain. Yep. Because once you've seen the wires, once you know <laughs> right. that it's not a giant flaming head, it's just an <laughs> old man. Right. <laughs> So much like this conversation, when you know the scene <laughs> is not going anywhere, you end it. You have to end it, right? You have to or jump start it, which is trickier. Yes, but if you're in a scene and you can tell that this is going nowhere, it's time to move on or either to something else or to something better here. I used to really struggle with that in combats. It would get bogged down and I would feel like I had to play it all the way out because a player might take a couple of levels of damage. Mm-mm. When I knew in my heart that, okay, so what if they take a couple of levels of damage? There's healing potions. Who cares? There's healing potions. There's vampire disciplines. There's werewolf rage. There's always something right. to make them better. Really, you, I, at that point, just narrated the rest of the way out. Give, let them make a few rolls, uh, some chops, whatever your mechanic is, and say, okay, it resolves like this. And as long as you make it sound interesting, they'll be happier for it being over right. than slogging through it. So this kind of kind of leads us to this idea. If combat goes on too long, let it die with your bad guy. Yeah. You know what? It's not just combat. Wait. It can be a political scene in which people get 
bogged down in minutia discussions and they don't care anymore. Right. You know, one of the, this is, I'm about to let people behind the curtain. For, oh, the curtain. It. But this is for storytellers, though. Storytellers only, players, plug your back, ears. Back in, <laughs> back in the old days, Ooh, when, when, in my basement. when we ran uh, LARP using the Laws of the Night revised rules, right? The old, back in the old days of the old, 15 years ago? Yeah, the old green book and the, the little books, not the By Night the Studio stuff. The little books. Right. The, the cool thing about that system was there was about a bazillion gray areas that as a storyteller, I could live in. Okay? Well, you you basically the, had that book memorized. The mechanics were had some gray areas where you had flexibility, and so one of the things that I could do is I could justify a hundred health levels in any creature. Sure, because because it just was the system was. Designed he just happens that to have way. this extra talent or this other right. power. It was one of the design features of that system. Feature, yeah, I, I think, it think was. a lot about it. No, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go so far. As I think feature. it was. It was more storyteller friendly than the new the new stuff is, but uh, that doesn't make it better. It just makes it different. It's different. Um, yes. So, but for me, that was one of the things that I liked was that any creature they encountered could have as many or as few health levels as I, as I wanted, and so it quite literally didn't matter how much damage they did to my bad guy. My combat lasted only as long as it needed to to be fun and satisfying. Sure. I didn't end it too early, and I wouldn't have him drop too late. And and so most of my combats were always, like, great for that yeah. reason. Because they always felt like, man, that was when the most dramatic blow of the night is delivered. That's that happens when we to end be off. when he falls. And you know what? Even in more tight systems, you can always end early. Right. And so, so I would say as a storyteller, you know, know that, that that's... One of the things you can do in most game systems, most mechanic systems, whether it's Dungeons & Dragons or anything else like that, is, you know, if combat's going too long, going on too long, you know, end it. Oh, yeah, you struck that blow against the cobalt. Be aware of what's your player's interest level. Right. right. Be aware yeah. of of their interest in what's going on. Um, this not only, you know, we were saying this not only works for LARP and tabletop, but for mush, too. Like, especially in Mush, because there really isn't uh, health levels. In Mush, the more the more that players are paging you as the person running the scene, <laughs> the more engaged they are. Yeah. It's true. If they're sending you private messages going, going, oh my gosh, I'm going to try and do this, that means they want to. Sure. Yeah. So, so you should be looking them. for ways for them to do it. Yeah, now, let on, them. Yeah. On the flip side of this, I would also say if non-combat goes on too long... Maybe a random cobalt comes out of the woods. It's according to the system and the setting, but right. yes, absolutely. So I think a cobalt should show up in always. any game. <laughs> yeah, but I think in all of them. It's a it's a uh, a famori with cobalt like powers, <laughs> right? But the truth is, though, you know, non combat can have the same problem. Sure, they could be sitting around role playing their characters, sitting at a campfire, and that can go on too long, and you could start to lose them. You know, don't be afraid to either go. All right, guys. So the next morning, you know, yes. that's okay. Or, you know, if, if there's too much non-combat, if you've went almost the entire night with no combat at all, and your players seem to be restless over that... Combat can be useful. Or, another word I like to use is action. Because combat combat implies you're opposing somebody. Sure. Action can just be, there's a thing happening. And you have to roll dice for it. And you have to roll dice for it. And you have to move. You a have horse to be, chase. Yes. Climbing a mountain even. And it may not even be an enemy of anything. It could just be a thing is happening you have to deal with immediately. Yeah. I actually, in uh, one of the mushes that I run a lot, we used to um, do hunting roles. 
And like, it was like a post-apocalyptic world. So right, food, yeah. Food, so food oh, was scarce. Okay. And so, like, when they wanted to do some action, they would go out with their bow and arrow they and made. And try to and, find some food. And try to find food and all that. And so, like, and we actually had a system set up where you could roll plus hunt. Mm-hmm. And then it would tell you what you come across. Oh, that's like, so. Fun. Every once in a while, it would be a bear, and then you got to fight a bear, right. or it would be a turkey. You know, and you don't really fight and a turkey. Turkey mauled you to death. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk then about the inevitable. At some point, a character is going to die. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of circles back to you should be a fan of the characters, right? Because. You're running a game for these characters. You're telling a story, and these are the people that are alive in the story. These are the heroes. These are the heroes in your epic tale. But it's not a hero without risk. Right. And so real risk usually involves death or Mm -hmm. some sort of really significant setback. Even Obi-Wan Kenobi died. Mm -hmm. And that was the most character-defining moment in the original series. Well, yeah, because he became more powerful than we could possibly imagine. That's right. And I can imagine quite a lot. I, I can imagine very powerful. I, I did not imagine him popping back up later on at the time. Right. When I was a kid, I was blown away. <laughs> I will say, so the trick is, if you kill a PC, make it awesome. Yes. yes. Make, make it story. And you'll find that a lot of characters chase that, that amazing death. Right. They want... At afters, when you all go to whatever Denny's or or Mm -hmm. whatever restaurant you go to, if your character death is talked about. Yeah, that's amazing. That's it. That's the moment. That's how you get LARP famous. Yes. (laughs) That's how you get game famous. The other other piece to that is remember, okay, combat can be stressful as a a dungeon master or a storyteller, right? Because you're you're juggling numbers and tracking Mm -hmm. initiatives and all these things, right? Everybody's yelling at you from different directions about what their character's going to do. It can be stressful. And so maybe you're not able to make that final death blow the awesome, amazing story moment that maybe it could have been. Sure. Or maybe you don't realize. Sometimes that happens, too. Like, oh, crap. That was... Wait, you only you're, had one left? Yeah, and I just did three damage? Ooh. Right. And But there is, there is hope for you, young oh. Padawan. Please tell us. First of all, remember... Uh, in Dungeons and & Dragons, there are... And other systems, sometimes there are outs... There yes. are ways for a dead character Resurrection! To... Right. Or so, just healing rolls. Right. Keep that in mind. But let's say a character has ended up dead, dead. <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> no, they're dead. Right? Maybe that's the moment where instead of continuing the combat to the end, your bad guys pick up that body and run. Mm-hmm. And it's then, not bad. And then the party realizes... And and you could just make this up, right? The next encounter they they have, they discover that the one thing they need was something that guy had. Oh, yeah, that can be fun. And a now MacGuffin. Got, now, now you're important again. Now that character's important, even though the player is now having to roll up a new character and make somebody else, but now they get to go chase down their body, that body. And it's story, and it becomes awesome over time. Something that you guys used to do in RVR that I loved was every character got a funeral. And one of their friends of the character would get up, and it would be a little out-of-game fudging to make it work. That person would get up and make a little speech about that character, and sometimes give away personal items of that character that maybe we had never seen before. But they're <laughs> suddenly, they're oh, this is his favorite baseball card, and he wanted you to have it. Right. Well, I mean, and a lot of that stuff was in the histories these people wrote. That's right. You know, so... If- if the player pulls you aside and goes, you know what, I never mentioned this, but the truth is my character would have had 
uh, a note to his wife in his bag. Then he had a note to his wife. Yeah, then he absolutely. had a note. The character's dead. Let him have a note. And guess what? Now to make that story, you're the rest of your party has to go deliver it. Right. Yep. There's some good stuff in a... In a tabletop game, you're going to get to role-play this bereaved uh, husband or wife and a LARP. These players are going to get to talk about it and interact with possibly another character that this happened, you know, that their spouse went off and died. There's some really good role-play there. Yeah, right. absolutely. Now, the opposite side to that is uh, don't show too much satisfaction in yourself. Wait, you don't spike the dice? <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't need to celebrate that you killed one of the PCs at your table. It's a somber moment in game, and you as the storyteller or game master should reflect that. Right. Connected to that is you also don't want to show too much disappointment that your villain was defeated. Because the purpose of the villain is ultimately to be defeated. Right. As if that a, happens a little early, okay. As a dungeon master or storyteller, your job ultimately is to lose. You know, don't reward their stupidity, but <laughs> you know, also don't be afraid to celebrate their uh, intelligence. Right. Their successes should feel real, so you have risk, but at the same time, it's no celebration when they fail. Right. It's a celebration when they win. Yeah. Anything... anything Anybody want to add? All right. Well, then let's talk about after the game. As we like to call it, post. So Wait, is there food involved? There should be. Probably. Afters is great. Sometimes decompressing is great. Decompressing is important, whether that's 10 or 15 minutes just hanging out as you pack your dice up at the house Mm -hmm. uh, in Carrie's mom's basement, Mm -hmm. or or if it's uh, packing up the dice and going to Steak and Shake, you know, and, and just... Finish in the evening from there. Some form of afters tends to be the thing that creates the community. Yes. It's also a great way for you as a, as the game runner to judge what was the things they liked about what I did. And what was the things they didn't like. What was engaging. Yep. It's just like when you go to see a movie with a bunch of your friends. When right. you walk out, everyone's going to talk about their favorite parts. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful like we talked about before, though, that you don't respond too strongly because everything you say will unconsciously be picked apart. Right. So you need to be very careful what you talk about. Again, keep the curtain closed. Keep the curtain closed. Celebrate their victories, mourn their losses, have a good time talking to them about game and about maybe the larger setting. It may even be a good point to talk about something that didn't come up that you would like to see revealed. Like, oh, by the way, guys, there's this other kingdom you might be interested in. Right. Ultimately, remember that even though it is sort of uh, an unspoken thing that we all know, your job as the game runner is to lose. We all know that, but we don't need reminded of that at Denny's. Just let us have the win (laughs) as players. Right, right. But also... On the flip side, you know, if your players are jerks to you because they did win, that's You can not... always run, uh, what's the tomb with the spirit? Tomb of Annihilation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, like, it's, you're com- you are part of the community. Right. Don't let your players bully you, too. That's true. Or make you feel well, bad. I think as a like, player, something you should remember is, you didn't win, you told a, a great story. With everyone else. With everybody else. Yeah. Because right. there's no winning unless you're having, fun. you're having fun. Right. And if it didn't go great, if you feel like it didn't go great, or if they say, you know, well, the combat wasn't so great, but man, it was this other thing was amazing, right? Stop and just ask your players, hey, why wasn't that so great? What can I do better? Yeah. Absolutely. Because Don't be afraid to ask. These are your 
best tools for learning is what they liked and, and didn't like. how you're going to learn. You're not going to learn any other way. And they're going to want to teach you because remember what we said earlier. They don't want to run. They don't want to <laughs> run. And you know what? Maybe they want to play in a better game. And if they can help you be better. They're going to. Right? And, and you know and, what? Even if you disagree with what they say, if you listen, you can internalize some lesson from it. And the fact is that you listened and listening will make them think you're better. That's mm-hmm. right, which is more important than being better. Because yep. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but I'll tell you this, I have way more respect for a storyteller who listens to my concerns or or ideas than I do for a storyteller that blows me off, even if they do or do not do anything I talk so, about. So, yeah, I was going to say like if you have a player that comes up and complains about something, even though you know they are wrong, Listen. let them say their piece. I watched a guy who had helped run a game listen to a very drunken player complain and then apologize and then complain some more and then apologize and complain some more. And he he said, okay, I'm going to give you 10 minutes and I will listen to anything you have to say. And after that, we're all going to agree that you're too drunk to talk about this right now and I'm going (laughs) to leave. But you do deserve to be heard. Even though you're right. very upset right now and, <laughs> and clearly drunk. drunk, I do want to make sure that you know that I am listening to you. And I don't know how it affected that guy, but it affected me because that meant that I knew this guy could be trusted to listen. Right. right. And I'm going to just say that another tip for first-time uh, storytellers or dungeon masters is don't run for a bunch of drunk people. Don't. Well, <laughs> it was at, to be fair, it was at afters, and it was one of those afters at a convention where people were yeah, uh, indulging. Right, right. The, the second thing is make sure you had fun because ultimately mm. that's all that matters. You should be having fun too. If you're not, you need to figure out why. And if you felt like it went rough... Remember the sage advice of Jake the dog. (laughs) Sucking at something is the first step to being good at something. There's also uh, an adage, which I won't get right, but essentially it says that as you do something, you're getting better at it. So you look back on the work you did, and it always looks bad. Because you're better now than you were when you did it. As an artist, I can say that is completely true. Right. The last thing is remember that the more that you you know the rules, the more you're going to discover that the rules don't really matter so much. Even the greats said that. Mm-hmm. It's true. Gary Gygax, we might as well just share Who that. is yeah. about as great as you can get. Yeah. One of the, the old grandmaster. The main, one of the main creators of the original Dungeons & Dragons said that the secret we should never let the game masters know is that they don't need any rules. That's right. Ooh. And it's true. He also said, by the way, on the whole, yeah. to address the thing you asked me if I use a screen as a, as a storyteller, he said a DM only rolls the dice because of the noise they make. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's really great, right? Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, you know, I was telling you the story about my son earlier, and I think this is a perfect spot for it. Sure. He plays a little game with us. That he calls the game, in which we play characters. Essentially, it's a role-playing game. It's sort of free-form, but he does have some stats in his head. And whenever we have to to do a challenge of some sort, he tells us to guess a number between usually one and ten, or if it's really easy, between one and five. <laughs> and very occasionally, it's one and three. Is he is he really? Picking numbers. Isn't that the guess? big question? Because I can't ask him. <laughs> or is he just... I can never pull back the curtain and know if he's just doing Just arbitrarily it. deciding successes right. and failures based on drama? That's right. Because I do notice that we tend to win 
unless it would be really dramatic to lose. And then we lose for a little bit, and then we win again. Maybe your right. son instinctively understands telling a good story. Well, he go. is obsessed with myths and legends and things like that. So I don't, sure. I don't know. We'll see if it pans out in the long run. But he is definitely getting better. Well, you know, the very, very first game that I ever ran, we talked about at the very beginning of this show. Did right? you ever actually run that game? And and I didn't actually ever run it. And we ever. should play that game now. Day. Do you still have the notes? I don't even know what it was. Oh. So, But it brings an important point. And the reason I told that story is we spent an entire night building characters for, for Dungeons & Dragons and then played Star Trek the next week. Sure. Never played my game of Dungeons & Dragons. You need that, to find those notes. That game of Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> again. And I told that story because I think it's important to understand that sometimes your group just falls apart. It happens. It wasn't my fault. I didn't run bad character creation. Well, (laughs) we weren't there, but let's just assume. But the point is, uh, you might run a, a session zero and a session one. And the game just dies. You may run a session hundred and the game dies. And it's likely not you. It, it could be you, but it probably isn't. It probably isn't. Well, it's your community, <laughs> right. which you're part of, but... And, and sometimes the community just moves on. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes I get tired of playing D&D, and if you run D&D and you don't run something else, it's no hard feelings, man. I'm tired of D&D right, right. now. It's just or, a game. I want to play Hackmaster. And that's what I think was going on, is our the usual DM had been running... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons for for months and months and months, and then it was my turn, and I went to run a Dungeons and Dragons game, and everyone was like, "You know, I'd rather play Star Trek," and it just happened to be my turn, mm. and it just worked out that way. And and that could be the case. With Wait, did you session. run the Star Trek game? I didn't. Oh. I eventually ran a Star Trek game. Was it good? But yeah, it was. It was a Last Unicorn game, Star Trek, the old mm, lug, lug yeah. Trek system. It was awesome. Okay, yeah. Just remember that sometimes it could happen out of character. Sometimes it could even be because you have a a a bum player in your group too. Oh, you know, I've, yeah. I've played in games where there was a, a player that just didn't want, you know, to play this game. So they built a character that was going to be nothing but trouble and made it miserable for everybody. And then you just played something else, you know, cause for whatever reason, it's always easier to just play something else than to actually address the problem with the play- people in your community. I think that's a perfect time to kind of go over to the advice that we got from the Dungeon Masters Story of the Hero page. That's right. If you are on Facebook, if you're on the Facebook page, the pages, uh, you can go to a group called Dungeon Masters and Storytellers. Very good stuff. And there is like 20,000 people in that group. That sounds like I'm just BSing It is number. not because I didn't realize how high it was it is until I looked at it today. It's literally <laughs> like 21,000 people in that group. And they are all about giving stories giving DMs and storytellers advice. And I would say the percentages of good advice to bad are are very, very uh It's a good. low it's <laughs> a low douchebag quotient. Yes, That's I feel nice. like that anybody who's too douchey is gonna get right. kicked out. For example, you got kicked out a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. He was he was cool about it. It was good. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, I think that speaks to the community, though, because the person is willing to remove somebody immediately and then discuss with them. By the way, this right. is the mistake you made. And for the record, Which, the it was mis- not a bad mistake. The mistake I made was just I promoted this podcast because I misread their rules on how you could promote your podcast. I like the fact that they enforce their rules. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when I was when and I they were, he them, wasn't a jerk about it. That's right. Nice. No, he was very cool. So. Anyway, so we posted on there and said, hey, guys, you know, any, any long-term storytellers want to give us some advice that's maybe not on our list? And it was a bunch. Yeah. So what did we find, Jason? Well, the one I wanted to bring up was Tanya Evans said, 
There's always going to be a problem player, and it won't always be the same one. Probably the one you least expect. It's very true. Yes. It is, and it's because you're always like, oh, you, Bob, really? <laughs> well, you know what? Everybody has been the bad player. Yeah. Everybody at this table has been the bad player. Right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Ryan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Storytellers are the worst players. Storytellers yeah. can be the worst players. And, you know, sometimes you can just take them aside and say, hey, this is the problem that we're having. Let's talk about it. Right. And nine times out of ten, it fixes it. The other, I think, connected to this that I want to share is that remember that the table in front of you is your community and you are the fosterer of that community. And so they are going to behave in your community the way you uh, sort of demonstrate to them. If you are ethical, if you treat them well, if you treat them like friends, they will respond to that. Right. And if they're the kind of people who don't respond to that, probably don't want to play with them anyway. Yeah. Very true. Here's another one. Uh, Patrick Melton said, set rules for your table before you even let people make characters or plan the adventure. Tell them what what it is you're you're trying to do with your community. They're going to respond. That's right. Uh, let's see. It's great advice. Andrew Seng, he says, take notes, detailed notes. You never know when a player is going to want to go back and talk to that NPC you just made up on the spot because you weren't expecting them to shop before meeting with a political figure. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Well, it's something we were talking about earlier. Uh, take notes. May, remember who your NPCs are. Have some trick of doing it, whatever it takes. The very mm-hmm. first LARP that I ever ran, I had I always wore cargo pants or cargo shorts to it. That's true today. Because in the <laughs> in the cargo pocket, I always kept a little uh, a little notebook and a pen, and I wrote everything. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it's a great habit to get into. It is. To now, force yourself to get into. Now I spend most games going, man, I wish I still wrote things down. I should write more things down. I don't, I don't remember what this player's talking about. I still say we should have secret cameras. <laughs> With audio, obviously. Right? And microphones everywhere. Of course, then we would have to spend eight hours reviewing Editing. every game. <laughs> Editing right. every game. All right, right so let's let's go, go, to, go back to that list and get one more last piece of advice. My favorite one on here is... From Joshua Pierce, and it says, It may sound stupid, but sometimes we need a reminder. The players are your friends. At the end of the day, we should be fans of the heroes in the story. A fan does not want their favorite character to die, but would also be bored if the character is never close to danger. We should be cheering for the heroes to win, but there needs to be something for them to win. Man, that is great advice. It's great it advice. Is. It is. And it's a great way to get ready for experience points. You don't get to end combat. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's go to game round. All right, welcome to game round. Uh, so, before we do anything exciting like give out experience points, let's just remind everybody that you can find us at honorrollpodcast.com. You download us at iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you can find your favorite podcasts. Which is us. Which is us. It's us. That's right. We encourage you to go to iTunes or any of those places and give us a five-star review. If you like us, it would be really great. Uh, you can find us at Twitter, at Podcast, and also, Jason, is there a Facebook place that you can locate us on? No. <laughs> Facebook.com slash group slash podcast. You can also send us an email with your thoughts at hosts at honorrollpodcast.com. We like getting emails. We love getting emails. And again, until we get so many that we can't, we'll probably read part of it on the air. Yep. And, and lastly, if you want to help us keep this show afloat and on the air, you can, you can back us as a patron at patreon.com slash honorrollpodcast. And, uh, you know, 
give us a fighting chance for survival. And you know what? That gives two things. One, you get some cool reward based on the level. Yeah. And also, you're explicitly making gaming better. You can have a little <laughs> bit of smug superiority knowing that you've helped make gaming better. Oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, the only way to... To win is to have fun, and the only way to have fun is not starve to death. <laughs> the, only way to, the only way to win is to have fun, and the only way to have fun is to back us on Patreon. Hey, back us on Patreon. Patreon.com. That works good, too. <laughs> all right. But you know what? I, I do want to say I really appreciate all the people, including some people that we've never met, yeah. who decided to back us. And it is incredible that this has gone as far forward as it has. And it's very encouraging and it's nice to know that we don't suck. Or we suck in a way that's entertaining that's and you amusing. throw money at us. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well let's give XP. So first of all, Carrie, you get uh, 5 XP for attendance. Woo-hoo. You also get 10 XP for biting your tongue and not saying anything really damning during the White Wolf discussion. I was so good. <laughs> I, did, I did so good. I know, right? Jason? She's got strong opinions. I do. <laughs> Jason, you get 6 experience points for attendance. Uh, that's one more for Carrie because of travel. Of course. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, I have to dock you 5 XP simply because I don't like the way your feet smell. Ah, that's because you haven't got really in there. Guys <laughs> <laughs> are so weird. Uh, all right, join us next week uh, when we do a deep dive into the importance of high-quality toilet paper at your gaming house or mush have you what? seen the new... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This is important. No, I was on Facebook today, obviously, and there's this brand new toilet paper out that's got rainbows and unicorns on it, and I thought that would be great to buy and leave at work. <laughs> <laughs> so I, weird. I don't understand you. Until next time, <laughs> thanks for listening on a roll. Remember, the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun. the thoughts and opinions that were on this podcast belong to just those folks who were on this podcast and to nobody else. All of the music was courtesy of Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com.